All right, and welcome to the very first episode of the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the TV ratings and buy rates and declares our own winner in some of professional wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and as a brief introduction as to what we're trying to do here, we're essentially going to take any two episodes of competing wrestling shows from any period in history and determine our own winner. We're going to do that on a five different grading scales. So we're going to look to see which show had the best crowd heat, match quality, characters, storylines, and presentation. So today we're going to begin with an historical night in professional wrestling, September 11, 1995. Uh, For those of you that don't know, that's the first night that Raw and Nitro went head to head. With that being said, Jack Tunney has flipped the coin and we've determined Nitro is going to be the first show off the block. Here we go. Nitro is coming live from Miami on September 11, 1995, and after the intro, the very first thing we notice is that the commentating team for this evening is Bobby the Brain Heenan, Mongo McMichael, and Eric Bischoff. Uh, Straight off the bat, we have a WrestleMania 2 flashback as they recycle the joke, where's the beef? From there, we go into a recap of the first ever Nitro um, closing angle with Lex Luger challenging Hulk Hogan for a title match this evening. With that recapped, we look to go into the opening contest, and on the the second ever episode of Nitro, the first match we see is Sabu up against Das Wonderkid, Alex Wright, a perennial non-favorite of mine. Um, Early on, before we even get underway with the action, I notice the commentators are really harping on about Vader going AWOL. I'm assuming this is the period of time where he left the company. Um, I think he headed back to Japan before his WWF stint, but they are making a bit of a big deal about it. And before we start reviewing the first match, as a matter of full disclosure, I suppose I should let everyone know that growing up, I was a massive WWF fan, never really got into WCW, so it's going to be very interesting for me to compare quality objectively many, many years later. So after the ring introductions, we get started with the match, Sabu up against Das Wonderkid. Um, We have a quite a bit of quick wrestling action to start us off with. I do notice that they're going at it pretty fast. And unusual for me is some of the strange camera angles, just getting in really tight when they're ground wrestling, seeming to come over the back and not getting all of the wrestlers in the shot nice and early. Um, The action starts off pretty quickly and we actually get a Hurricane Rana over the top rope within the first minute, followed pretty quickly with suicide dives, planches and Sabu's famous chair spot where he leans a man up against a barricade, runs and jumps off the chair. On this instance, Alex Wright managed to duck it and get out of the way. Um, Back inside, Alex Wright hits a a nice drop kick. Sorry, that was on the outside. Can't read my own notes, which is a really good start for the first episode. The announcers seem to be trying to get over the nickname Suicide Sabu, which is a little bit of a takeoff of his homicidal, genocidal, suicidal nickname from ECW. From there, we go through a pretty rapid series of high spots, really, because the match only lasted a couple of minutes. Alex Wright manages to get a a sloppy plancher, a superplex, and a German suplex. And the finish actually comes when Sabu gets up on the top rope and goes for a victory roll on Alex Wright, who's also on the 
top rope. Think of the Owen Hart, Bret Hart, WrestleMania 10 finish, but both of them starting on the top rope and not really getting the rotations. Alex Wright kind of just lands on his back and Sabu, rather than finish the job and hook both the legs in tight, just sort of sits on his shoulders and tells the referee to count. Not a great finish for the first match in WCW uh, timeline for myself. Um, lots of high spots, moved quickly, but really some sloppy stuff in there, which I guess is a, is a known trait of Sabu. After the match, Sabu continues the assault, attacking Alex Wright, and the referee eventually reverses the decision and awards the match to Alex Wright. Um, from there, we get some replays of the bout, which is a bit strange. Not so much that we're showing replays of the bout, but uh, the weak way Alex Wright has won the match, and yet one of the replays involves a shot of him walking down to the ring uh, in the introductions. I just found that a little bit odd, almost like a victorious photo or... or video sorry of the man that just got himself beaten to death and somehow managed to win because the referee felt sorry for him from that match there we go on to mean gene introducing rick flair um he's hyping a match with arn anderson at the upcoming pay-per-view fall brawl from there lex luger comes out flair goes into his usual hype job about lex luger talking about his size his muscle mass etc etc and then luger just sort of says you're too much turns around and walks out. Nothing really happened. I found this really weird. Um, a very strange interview segment. From there, we go into Sting up against VK Wall Street, who some of you may know better as IRS, Mike Rotundo, uh, famous WWF and WCW stalwart for many years. It's at this point of the show that I come up with what I think is going to be my first regular segment for the podcast, and that's the dick move of the week. So we're going to look at something that maybe wasn't pleasant towards someone else or the crowd or, or whatever it may be. As we're hyping the match coming up, Eric Bischoff gets his spiel away. Mongo McMichael is sat there desperately trying to get a word in edgewise, and Eric Bischoff basically just says to him, sorry, Mongo, I know you've got something to say, but we've got a match to go to, and leaves it at that. Um... From there, we go down to the ring. Um, Eric makes a peculiar comment to Bobby Heenan saying, what's this VK about? What's VK stand for? Which I'm assuming is a little dig at Vince, but not 100% sure on that one. As VK Wall Street comes out for the match, my first thought is it looks like IRS and Ted DiBiase had a baby. Upon further reflection, I'm thinking maybe IRS just stole Ted DiBiase's coat, so it's a little bit less offensive. Um... The Man Called Sting plays, which uh, long-time wrestling fans will be well aware of that song. And as he's walking out, I notice he's also wearing the US title. This wasn't really mentioned in the uh, hyping for the bout, so I'm not 100% sure if it's a title match. Um, and what do you know? The dick move of the week has just been replaced within a couple of minutes as, holy shit, Eric Bischoff is giving away the results of Raw on week two of Nitro. Uh, for those of you that have heard the line over the year, it's actually the famous line about Shawn Michaels beating Sid with a super kick that wouldn't wash at the local YMCA. I cannot believe this was this early in the Nitro's run, but there it is, we're starting off hot. Uh, quick start again for this match as um, Sting and VK get into it right away. The match wasn't overly exciting to start with, so I did make some notes about the commentary. Mongo McMichael, just craziness. This is actually the first time I've ever heard him comment. One of the early comments was, open up the cash register, Sting, and get yourself some change. No idea what he's talking about, but it was amusing. Uh, we then hear um, from Eric Bischoff that Luger was in the WWF nine days ago, to which Mongo replies, he literally just came from the Bush Leagues. Holy shit, they are going to town early, and this is fun. 
Stinger hits the famous 10 turnbuckle uh, head spot with VK and the crowd are counting along pretty solidly. Um, it's at this point of the night that I notice the crowd is really hot. Match doesn't last too long. Sting finishes them off with a crossbody block over the top. A little bit of a squash, but the crowd were well into it. After the match, we get a hype up for WCW Saturday Night this week, which apparently that show was set to contain the debut of Disco Inferno, The Renegade in Action, and Haku. It's at this point I'm wishing they'd put WCW Saturday Night up on the WWE Network so I could sit and watch some of the atrocities going on over that side. Next up is Scott Norton versus the Macho Man Randy Savage in another match set up at an angle on week one WCW Nitro. Um, it's essentially the one where they were arguing at the announce table and, and they basically announced they were going to have the match next week. Out now we have Randy Savage coming out to which is pretty much just his WWF theme mixed a little bit. It starts with an oh yeah as is customary for the Macho Man. Has a little bit of guitar in it. Think the guitar in Undertaker's 98 theme over Pomp and Circumstance and you've pretty much got what the music is. Um, it comes out to a really good pop. Some pyro involved as well. Good entrance I would say. The match starts a little bit slower um, than the previous two but not too bad. Uh, early on in the match, Heenan is making mention to Mongo McMichael that uh, Scott Norton wants a piece of him. Uh, one of the lines I heard was he keeps looking over at you, McNuggets, which did make me giggle some classic Bobby Heenan. Um, Macho hits some of his famous moves, the axe handle uh, from the inside out early on. Um, Scott Norton does take over control pretty early then, hitting a big clothesline, which Macho gives the Rikishi cell. Um, and then he gets him into a bear hug and slows it down a little bit. Uh, power bomb as well on Macho, just in a transition, which was a little bit strange. Um, big power slam, big press slam, as the crowd start to get behind Macho with the Macho chant. Really cool looking DDT from the outside in over the ropes, which was pretty cool. Um, and a big counter from the dive as well. From here we go straight to the finish, which is a bit of a schmoz really. Out comes the Shark and Kamala, um, and a sloppy whip to the corner ends up with Norton kneeing Shark in the head, who lands on Norton, allowing Savage to drop the elbow from the top and get the win. Um, after that, in runs Sullivan, Haku, and the Beefer. I cannot believe this table. I've heard about it, but seeing them all in action in all the different colours was pretty brilliant, actually. Um, early on with the run-in, they seem to keep calling Shark Avalanche, which as well was a little bit strange since he did have the shark gear on with a big shark face. He looked a little bit like a giant McDonald's Happy Meal toy, but it was amusing to me. And finally, we go into the main event of the evening, which was the aforementioned Lex Luger versus Hulk Hogan WCW title match set up um, on the week before when Lex Luger came out and challenged Hulk for a shot at the title um, in his return to WCW from the WWF. Again, early on, it's mentioned that he was in the WWF nine days ago. Um, it's at this point I realized they said he'd challenged for the WWF title nine days ago. And as Mongo lets us know, he didn't want to play with kids. He wanted to come to the place that had the only real world champion in Hulk Hogan. Hulk comes out to a decent pop. It's okay. It's not really much different to Sting or to Savage. Uh, but the crowd has been reasonably good all night. Um, it's at this point that I notice the commentary seems really odd um sound quality wise it's almost as though they've sped up the broadcast a little bit i made the comment that it might be at one and a half speed um it's a bit like when you've got your podcast app on your phone and you, you press the um the speed button by mistake and it just goes out a little bit faster matt wrestling early from lex and hulk not too bad um and then hulk hits the big vertical suplex which lex luger immediately no sells pops straight back up um back and forth hulk gets um 
gets suplexed himself by Lex, and then Hulk, of course, pops straight back up and no sells because you wouldn't expect Hulk to let Luger get away with it on his own. Bischoff again putting the boots into the WWF, interestingly enough, saying that the WWF champion never made it past mid-card status over here in WCW. Um, judging by the timeline, I would assume it's Kevin Nash playing Diesel over on the WWF side of things. Uh, very interesting to hear him take shots at him, considering the next year he would be one of his main attractions. Uh, pretty quickly in the match, we get Hulk going up for the torture rack, and then in a typical stupid wrestling move, Hulk Hogan's up in the torture rack and go nowhere, and Lex drops him and assumes he's won, starts raising his own hand, despite nothing from the referee indicating Hulk had submitted, no bell being rung, and no attempt by the referee to give Luger the decision. Typical wrestling logic. Once the referee manages to get Luger's attention and say, no, you haven't won, Luger then decides to go for a pin, but it's been an age since he dropped Hulk out of the rack. Um, so obviously Hulk kicks out, and if you've ever watched a Hulk Hogan match in your life, you know what comes after the opponent's finisher. Really, you shouldn't just not bother doing your finisher on him. So he pops up, Hulk's up, the shake of the head, the big finger, and as you know, next comes the boot in the leg, but he doesn't get the three count because, again, the Dungeon of Doom come out. Um, it's at this point that I realise Brutus Beefcake looks like an absolute tit. I've seriously never seen a wrestler look this stupid. They come out, they start attacking Hulk. Um, Savage and Sting run in pretty quickly and chase him off. Uh, Kamala taking a particularly bad bump to the outside where he, they go to throw. And you know when the big guy isn't going to go over the top, they're going to go between the two. But he grabs more ropes than Brett doing a safe suicide dive on his way down. From there, we have the ending angle to week two's WCW Nitro, where Mean Gene's in the ring with Macho, with Sting, with Hulk, with Lex, and with Jimmy Hart, and Savage and Sting are holding Lex and Hulk apart. Um, from there, they start to interview them, and Hulk says that Lex gave him the match of his life. I'm not sure I'd agree with that, but it was backwards and forwards, I suppose. Um, Hulk now questioning Lex, whose side are you on? Hulk and the Macho Man essentially are not wanting to side with Lex Luger, whereas Sting wants Lex Luger to join their team at the upcoming pay-per-view fall brawl in the War Games match against the Dungeon of Doom. Macho is pretty adamant that he doesn't want him on board. Lex um, is just sort of standing there taking it all in. Sting goes to bat for him, and then Hulk sort of decides he's not sure, but does offer him a spot anyway to say that he'll find out what he's all about once they're in the war games. Um, the big question mark, I guess, around it was that the Dungeon of Doom didn't attack Lex Luger or Jimmy Hart. Uh, I didn't really notice Jimmy Hart in amongst it, but that was something that Macho had pointed out. Um, Lex agrees to join the team at war games uh, if Hulk agrees to give him a, another title match down the line. And there you have it. That's pretty much the recap of the Nitro edition of the show here today so from here we'll move on to Monday Night Raw
Before we've even started with the intro package, I notice a trip down memory lane for myself here with the 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Cube entrance, which always made me smile. Vince then goes into a recap of the Sean and Razor ladder match number two from SummerSlam 95, and then goes into overdrive selling the main event of Sid versus HBK and the British Bulldog versus Razor Ramon matches for this evening. Uh, a strange thing uh, they were talking about on the commentary as well was that this was the new fall season for Raw. Having not been able to see much of the TV from the 90s, it's not something I'd ever noticed or known they'd done before, so that was interesting. And the announced team for tonight's Raw is Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. We'll get a little bit of a recap of the British Bulldog turning on Diesel, uh, I believe the week before coming into the opening contest, which is Razor Ramon versus the British Bulldog, who has not only cut off his hair, but now has Jim Cornette as a manager as well. Razor Ramon comes out to a mild crowd pop. It's at this time that I notice that the crowd isn't mic'd especially well. It's almost like they taped the show and then Vince and Lawler commentated over the top, but they overcompensated with the sound of the commentary. So it really didn't make for a good audio quality experience. It's also reasonably dark in the arena. Um, I'm guessing the production quality just wasn't up to standard that we're used to today, so it was a little bit jarring. Having said that, I have been watching a lot of the early 93 and 94 roars in the Manhattan Center, and they don't appear to have the same problems, so maybe it was just this episode. British Bulldogs coming out next, and again, the crowd looked to be going crazy with the booing, but you can barely hear a peep, so I won't harp on about it, but it does appear to be an issue for this show. It's actually a good start to the match. Um, they also tell us that this is the Raw premiere on Sky Sports in the UK. Uh, being from Manchester originally, that was interesting for me to hear as well. We get the awesome delayed vertical suplex from Davy Boy Smith, one of my favourite moves. Again, being an Englishman originally, British Bulldog was one of my favourites growing up, so I always love seeing that. Vince, uh, his usual self on commentary, getting the lines such as notwithstanding. The British Bulldog hits an impressive press slam on Razor Ramon, who's a big guy, so I was quite impressed with that. And it's at this point, too, that I notice the referee is in stripes. Uh, obviously, I didn't think they came into stripes that early in the piece, so it was a little bit shocking to me. I'd always thought that was around about a 97, 98 thing, but obviously not. Razor Ramon with the discus punch as well, giving me flashbacks of Kerry Von Erich, and then the sack of shit. If you don't know what that is, it's essentially Razor's fall away slam. Uh, I've always heard them refer to it as the SOS or the sack of shit in shoot interviews. It's been a good match, but at a pretty quick pace, and not too long after that, we get a ref bump followed pretty much immediately from the Razor's edge. Razor goes for the pinfall, referee obviously can't count, and out comes Dean Douglas, who drops an incredibly awkward elbow off the top rope onto Razor. He basically gets up on the top turnbuckle, realises he's got on the wrong top turnbuckle, gets back down, runs up the apron, gets on the next top turnbuckle while Razor has to pretend not to see him, and then drops the elbow off on top of him. The one, two, three kid runs out, but Dean Douglas dispatches of him pretty quickly with a suplex over the top rope, which really killed him. And after the, the fracas, we end up with the kid getting back up on the top rope and looking to go for a splash after the British Bulldog has hit his power slam. But the British Bulldog moves and the kid splashes Razor from the top rope. And then my WWE network dropped out. And this was the end for about 15 minutes for me. 
after getting my network problems resolved and getting it back up to where I was, I open it back up to the British Bulldog and Jim Cornette kicking the crap out of the kid and Razor Ramon. Interesting to see Jim Cornette going between the two and just laying the boots to both of them. They leave the ring and Vince comes in to interview the kid and Razor. Uh, the angle here seems to be they're teasing some tension between them. I do know from memory that we lead a, this angle leads to the classic diaper match or the baby match. I can't remember how they build it, but God, it was atrocious from memory. Uh, from here, the kid challenges Razor Ramon. He says something along the lines of Razor's not been showing him enough respect and treating him like a little kid, mentioning several times that I've beat you once before, I'll have to beat you again, and the match is set for next week. Razor cubans it up like crazy. The accent is in overdrive, like it's the worst Saturday Night Live sketch of Scarface you've ever seen. The problem with this promo as well, other than Razor's ridiculous accent, which knowing Scott Hall from later on, you knew it was really put on, was Jerry Lawler talked over the promo the entire time. So as Razor was trying to sell the angle and get his point across, Lawler basically answered everything he said in quick fashion on commentary. Eventually he does get to the point and he accepts the challenge for next week. After the match, we go into a quick promo saying that Yokozuna and Owen Hart are going to be defending their tag team titles the following week against Men on a Mission. And it's basically hyped that Gorilla Monsoon has done this, he's the interim president, and he's trying to give the fans what they want. I really don't know what fans he was talking to because I've never met anyone that wanted more Men on a Mission. From here, we go into a tag match, which is the Smoking Guns up against Rad Radford and the Brooklyn Brawler. And if a team's ever inspired fear, it would be Rad Radford and the Brooklyn Brawler. Pretty early on, I am fascinated with the outfit of the smoking guns, the mullet and the mustache combination. I remember having the smoking kid, uh, smoking guns, sorry, Hasbro's as a kid, and I knew about the mullet and the, and the mustache and do have memories, but it was in overdrive here, especially Billy. He looked ridiculous. Vince and Lawler are arguing a mile a minute at this point, and I do wonder if this uh, episode is suddenly sped up on commentary as well. Maybe it's a network thing, putting the shows up. They've had to speed them up to cut some time. I'm not really sure, but they're arguing about everything from clothes to money to sports, um, pretty much everything about the, other than the match at hand. Surprisingly, this was a pretty competitive match. Uh, the Guns did get the win in fairly short fashion, but there was a lot of back and forth before that. They got the win with, I'm not sure what their finishing manoeuvre is called, but it's the backbreaker from Bart with the leg drop off the top rope from Billy, like an updated demolition device, basically. After the tag match, we get a Gold Dust vignette, and I have to say, my memory didn't realise that Gold Dust came in this early, and he looks so young. Think the 1991 Royal Rumble Dustin Rhodes with a gold wig and some face paint on, and that's pretty much what you've got. He looks really young. He does his famous movie quote, spouting, and um, the promo is directed towards the ghouls, the creatures of the night, pretty well aimed at the Undertaker and threatening him. Up next is Isaac Yankum DDS, otherwise known as Jerry Lawler's personal dentist, against a young Scott Taylor. Scott Taylor had been jobbing on Raw pretty well from the inception, uh, from watching the 93 and 94 Raws, but it is still really fascinating watching a young Scotty Too Hotty get beat up by the stars of the day. As Yankum's coming out, I notice his Titantron picture seems to be a still shot of what looks like Yankum spelled out on a grill that Paul Wall would have been proud of. Pretty impressive. We get back in the ring and we see Scott Taylor, still strange not calling him Scotty Too Hotty after all these years, and he's he's got a Richard Simmons haircut and he looks like he's borrowed the Steiner Brothers tights. Really odd look, he did look like a jobber. Certainly no match for the open top bucket hat with the spiked up hair. 
pretty early on, Yankum hits an impressive one-arm choke slam. Doesn't get the same elevation that he did as Kane, but he lifted him all the way with one arm rather than holding him in the air, then like going, letting go with the other. He finishes the match off with a DDT, or as Vince tells us, he wants to call it the DDS complete squash here. But with the size difference and the star power at the time, that would be what you would expect. Up next, one of the things that drove me mental about the early Raws is the pay-per-view report. This time it's for In Your House 3 with Todd Pettengale. And other than the state of his haircut, I've not got a lot to say about this. He just runs through the matches for the In Your House 3 pay-per-view. Interestingly, it's the British Bulldog up against Bam Bam Bigelow, it seems. I'm pretty certain In Your House 3 from memory is the Beware of Dog, and I'm not sure that's where they end up going with it. But it did seem strange that he turned on Diesel, had the match with Razor earlier on this show and they were hyping him to fight Bam Bam Bigelow so it seems like the British Bulldog was to be facing pretty much all the faces in the Federation at the time. After the uh, In Your House report we go straight to the main event which is Sid versus Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. Before the match gets underway during Sid's entrance we get Parry Dodinsky selling the Shawn Michaels leather hat. The one that he turned backwards and wear with his chaps and sort of various print outfits in the early to mid 90s and that's going over Sid's entrance which was a little bit strange uh from there we get a very quick five second Shawn Michaels promo in the back on he before he gets to Gorilla as we come back out to ringside I notice that Ted DiBiase is ringside for Sid this match was also meant to be at SummerSlam, but Gorilla Monsoon, in trying to appease the fans, removed this match from SummerSlam and changed it to the Razor Shawn ladder match in a pick that was probably remarkably more popular than the Men on a Mission tag title match he set for next week. Lawler starts talking about the size of Sid early in the match, and Vince with a hell of a line. I'm not even sure I can do it justice, but he basically says, Oh yeah, I know about that, but he's also incredibly athletic, without pausing for breath. Really cool, the early Vince commentary. I know a lot of people rag on it, but I really enjoyed it. Sean skins the cat pretty early into the match, um, and a really rough-looking spine buster by Sid. He just seemed to toss him to the ground. Big choke slam and a pose. Sid, of course, playing the wrestler logic, where you hit what could be your finishing move, and you make no attempt at pin because you want to tell the crowd how good you are. From there, he does attempt to go for the powerbomb, but it's reversed. There's a quick back and forth, and Sean hits the super kick. I'm selling the match a little bit short there. There was quite a bit more action than, than what I've managed to take notes of, but I think I was too enthralled by the Vince Law, the commentary team, to really pay too much attention to the match in this one. Vince does fawn all over Shawn Michaels, stripping after the match with a, oh, baby, which was really disturbing, but it is what it is. And there, they just really hyped in your house. They finished Raw with a really cold um, ad for the In Your House pay-per-view with Bob Backlund and the Bushwhackers in it, amongst a few others. Followed by a quick promo with Doc Hendricks interviewing Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Um, Shawn Michaels talks about righting all the wrongs in his life. He gives Diesel a cuddle and says that they're back together, or words to that effect. He says that he's just taken down Sid for the earlier angle, uh, the night after WrestleMania 11, where Sid powerbombed him repeatedly because Shawn had told him he'd have the night off next time he got a match against Diesel. Sadly, when talking about righting all the wrongs of his past, he doesn't mention making up to Marty Jannetty throwing him through the barbershop window. I would have loved that. And lastly, a preview for next week's Raw, um, hyping specifically the tag title match. As I said, it was a little bit of a cold ending. I probably could have given some more time to the main event rather than finish with promos and adverts. Just my opinion, though. 
Okay, with that being said, we will go straight into comparing the two shows and picking our winner. Um, historically, both shows drew a 2.5. From memory, I'm pretty certain they weren't on at the same time early on in the run, um, but they did both draw the same rating, so I guess they there would be no real winner out and out on the night. Um, so we're going to go through our categories that we mentioned earlier. For me, the crowd was definitely hotter on Nitro. Uh, the crowd heat was far and away different between the two shows, mostly because of the audio issues on Raw, but Sting, Macho, and Hulk all got really good reactions. There was some good chance through the match. Um, I have to give Nitro the thumbs up when it comes to the crowd heat. Match quality, I'm going to go with Raw, though it was pretty close. Um, a match, uh, a show, sorry, that started with the British Bulldog up against... Razor Ramon and finish with Shawn Michaels up against Sid. You can't really complain about that. Um, I know historically the um, knock on Nitro during the 90s was that their main event wasn't that hot. And definitely on this night, Shawn and Sid was a better main event for my money than Lex and Hulk. Crowd was probably more into Lex and Hulk, but match quality definitely goes with Raw for me. The Savage Norton match wasn't great on Nitro, and Sabu and Alex Wright went a mile a minute and then completely tore up its own finish. So I'm definitely going to go with Raw, but it is a close one. Character-wise, I'm going to give the edge to WCW another close call. The main difference for me being that there was no real massive jobbers on WCW, whereas a tandem of Rad Radford and the Brooklyn Brawler on Raw was never going to get the win over the Smoking Guns, who in this time period were pretty much the crown jewel in the WWF's tag team division, particularly on the babyface side of things. Then later on, on the heel side of things, when they aligned with Sonny as well, Nitro featured a match with Sting, a match with Hulk Hogan, and a match with Macho Man Randy Savage. So I definitely think the characters took the, the win with WCW, though I will say the Dungeon of Doom did threaten to drag them down a little bit. Storylines, um, not great. I, I would say that they were pretty well even on this night. Um, the Razor Ramon 1-2-3 kid angle was a little bit awkward. The promos weren't great. 1-2-3 um, kid Sean Waltman or X-Park, he was never brilliant on the mic. And Razor was really hamming it up with the Cuban stuff, which didn't really help the seriousness of the angle. And Hulk and Luger, the angle at the end was again to me a little bit bizarre with Macho blatantly not wanting him, Sting blatantly wanting him and then Hulk sort of siding with Macho but agreeing with Sting's decision so a little bit awkward so I'm going to give them a tie on that one. Lastly uh, we're going to go with presentation and on this night I'm going to give it to WCW which is something that I really didn't expect to see WCW's production values top the WWF but the presentation looked a lot more it seems strange to say now, but a lot more modern at the time. There was better logos, better graphics, better replays. The replay I mentioned earlier, which was strange with Alex Wright, um, showing his entrance after the match, they did that with the other matches. And with the more dominant finishes with the other matches, it did look a little better, bit better, replaying the man walking out that had won the match. So the cutscenes and, and the ins and outs, and definitely the sound were better on WCW than they were on the WWF. With all that being said, it's hard to go past Nitro for the winner of the first ever Rory's Nitro podcast head-to-head -head battle. Um, there was definitely an air of up-and-coming and getting your stuff together with Nitro that Raw didn't have. I know 1995 is considered the worst year in WWF history, so it's not surprising that their show lacked the freshness and, and the crispness of WCW. But I guess it was surprising that so early on in the piece, Nitro seemed to overtake Raw. 
From there, I'd just like to thank anyone that does listen to the show for doing so. This is something I've wanted to do for a little while. Um, I think we've all got our favourite wrestling podcast. If you're listening to this, certainly you must have because it'd be the only way you could find it. Um, And I've been listening to some really good ones over the last couple of years, obviously starting with OSW Review, um, the New Blood Rising podcast, the New Generation Project, and recently the Raw Attitude podcast, which has shown me that one person can record it. Um, Whether or not this one is successful remains to be seen, but thank you to everyone that does listen. Apologies in advance if the audio quality is not the greatest. This is certainly an amateur hour first attempt, and hopefully we'll have more to come and it will get better from here. Thank you very much.